Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes the show sort of sing is that you're seeing this sort of post-apocalyptic world, but it's a world filled with beauty. Um, and it's a world filled with, uh, uh, with love despite the surroundings and despite the circumstances. Um, and that contrast is what creates um, a really uh, sort of an interesting way to, uh, to see into our own world, um, which in a way, if you think about it, is, can be similar. You know, it's like it always feels like we're falling apart. Um, but then it were, but then so, something you'll see will fill you with so much hope. Welcome to the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, and I edit films and scripted TV shows in Hollywood. I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program to help aspiring editors start or advance their careers in post-production. I don't have any training in coaching or some fancy degree in psychology. I'm just a guy who is relentless in pursuing his goals and wants to help people do the same. But I didn't achieve happiness and success in my career alone. Throughout the years, I've come across some amazing people that have offered valuable advice and guidance. That's why I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program, to help people navigate the path to achieving their career goals. I've been in your shoes and gone through the same struggles. The challenges and fears on this journey are real, and I want to tell you, it is possible. Hello, my friends. Hola, que tal, mis amigos? Welcome to episode 36 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. So happy to be doing this once again. It's been a while, no doubt about it. So just excited to be able to get behind the mic here and bring you some awesome interviews with some truly amazing guests. And that's what we have here today. An amazing guest here, Timothy Good ACE. And he's going to be talking all about the editing of HBO's The Last of Us. And if you have not seen this show, hit that pause button right now. Head over to your TV and check it out because it is truly, truly a great show. So very excited to be able to get a behind-the-scenes look at the editing of The Last of Us. Before I get to my guest, though, uh, I just want to catch up for a little bit. Like I said, I haven't uh, you know, been here and, and, and checked in with you guys, and, and maybe you all wondering what I've been up to. You know, First of all, if you're new here, welcome. My name is Joaquin Elizondo. I'm a film and television editor and also the creator of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program and Podcast. And like I said, I'm, a, I'm an editor. I'm a working editor. And so when I do sign up for a gig, I have to step away from the Hollywood Editing Mentor community, unfortunately, uh, and, and, and you know, go off and do a, a series. And I recently wrapped a limited series for Netflix. I uh, worked on that for over a year, and it was great. And hope you can see it later this year. But you know, I was, I was busy, certainly busy with that. And so uh, while I'm away working... Uh, I'm not able to do as many podcast episodes or YouTube videos or content for just the community. I'm not as available, uh, but you know, I'm here now, right? Uh, I'm so uh, excited again to be doing this, and I got a lot of big plans for Hollywood Editing Mentor for this year. Uh, one of those being now that there is a video version of this podcast on the Hollywood Editing Mentor YouTube channel. So check it out at youtube.com slash Hollywood Editing Mentor. And once you're there, make sure you subscribe and hit that bell icon so you get notified when I release a new episode of the podcast. Check it out at youtube.com slash Hollywood Editing Mentor. And also last year, I got to do the Break Into Scripted course, which helps you uncover the mysteries and overcome the struggles of finding a job in film and scripted television. And it was so great to work with such an amazing group of mentees. 
It's been so awesome uh, hearing how they have achieved their goal, their dream of working in film and scripted television. And if this is something that you want to do as well, well, make sure you sign up for the Break Into Scripted waitlist because this course sold out twice. So make sure you sign up for the waitlist at hollywoodeditingmentor.com slash waitlist. And then, of course, I got married last year. Yes, I am now married. And so I want to send a shout out to my beautiful wife, Charlene. Uh, we're both very happy. Uh, but yeah, it was a very, very busy year. And just wanted to take some time here to catch up with all of you and, and, and just let you know that I'm back and going to be doing a lot more great things here for the Hollywood Editing Mentor community. So like I said, we got an amazing show for you today. Timothy Good ACE is here to talk about his experience cutting HBO's The Last of Us. And we're also going to hear about his journey to the editing chair and also get his advice on how you can also uh, make your way towards working in film and scripted television shows. Some key takeaways from this episode include what makes a good mentor and how you can find your own mentors being open and ready for new career opportunities, the importance of receiving creative feedback, how it's important to be vulnerable as an editor, and we'll hear all about Timothy's experience editing HBO's The Last of Us. Tim Good on the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much, Joaquin. It's a real pleasure to be here. I'm just so, so excited to be able to chat with you today. Uh, about The Last of Us. I mean, wow, what a show. I mean, it, I mean it's, it's just been amazing. And I mean, I, I, like I told you, it was one of those shows that, you know, ever since it was announced, I was like, oh, this is, this is going to put it on my list because I, I could not wait. As, as a fan of the game, I was just super pumped to, uh, to watch this. And so far, it's been amazing. I am so happy to hear that. We really put everything into it. Um, so it is it's just a pleasure to see that it's translating uh, to so many people. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, uh, and we're going to get talking about uh, episode three uh, here in a little bit because, uh, wow, w what an episode. I mean, I, I, like I told you, I was getting even like, as I was watching it, getting messages from friends who were watching it as well. And, and it was just so heartfelt and just truly an amazing, uh, you know, hour of television and even seeing in, in, in the trades or everyone's talking about it. I mean, I can't, I can't ask for more than to have something we work so hard on and care so much about be, to, uh, you know, have people really react to and 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 feel and uh, be moved by. Uh, I, I I myself have been getting these fantastic sort of like little messages, and my favorite ones are honestly when people say, "My mom called me this morning," and I'm like, "That is my favorite. That is the best." So I literally cannot be happier. And when someone says, my mom called me this morning, we talked about it, and I'm just, I'm so happy about that. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll definitely uh, talk more about it soon. Before we get to that, though, in The Last of Us, um, you know, I, I want to get to know you more. I want this audience to also get to know you as well. I mean, how did you get to the editing chair? I mean, like, can we share your path, your journey to now, say, editing some, you know, really big shows? Yeah, no, I mean, it's been a long journey, honestly. Um, I can start from the very beginning, if you would like. Absolutely, um, I want to hear it. And the thing that drew, that really attracted me to film editing um, is that I've always been a very sort of uh, uh, introverted person slash extrovert when I need to be, but mostly introverted. Um, and growing up, um, I was surrounded by um, architecture, great architecture. I grew up in the uh, just outside of Chicago in this town called Oak Park. 
I know Parkersburg Frank Lloyd Wright did a lot of his uh, early works. And so I would actually go to these houses and I was like sort of mesmerized by these things. And they would have these things, you know, these, these uh, special blocks that you would use to build things. And I was really, I loved those. I had Lincoln logs as a child, which is a very, uh, it, it definitely dates me. Um, but uh, I was, I was fascinated by building things. And, and I was also very moved by music. Um, so both music and architecture were sort of the basis of where I got this sort of desire to tell stories um, based on building. Um, and I feel that music has a real sort of uh, backbone to editorial and 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 how you make a, a story flow, giving it rhythm, giving it rise and fall, giving it, you know, climaxes and denouements. Um, and so all of those things sort of played together. And so I was, uh, I was, I was, I was really into piano as a, as a kid and I would build models of like, you know, planes and things, I, you know, it was, uh, it was something that I just loved doing the amount of detail that would go into every sort of decision to, and of course you had instructions on how to build a model instructions on how to play a piece of music. Um, and so the next sort of logical step when I got to high school is, uh, they, the, my public high school had this amazing television studio, um, that had a linear tape to tape editor. So <laughs> in out set preview auto edit um and that was run by this fantastic a teacher of mine named don lenny um and he was he he recognized in me early on he goes you are really good at this um and he said to me i'd like to have you come and direct a little thing for this day nursery in our in our hometown and, and edit it with this professional uh from the city and i was like are you serious and he says yes and so i did uh, and I loved doing it. And he's like, you're really good at editing. You're very good at this. And I, and, I, and for whatever reason, it was just about building um, and creating an, a, an emotion in, in someone else that really just drew me in. So I really enjoyed the fact that I didn't want to really go too far outside of my little boundaries of my little world. I'm hugging myself right now because, again, I'm an introvert. Um, so I went to Northwestern University, which is in Chicago. Um, and I went there because I wanted to be an editor, which is the strangest thing. And, 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 you know, it was like, why there of all places to be an editor? And I said, well, I also am really freaking smart. Um, so I also want to have a great education as well. Um, and that was, it just hit both sides. Um, and so I took tons of film classes with some amazing, amazing instructors and professors and mentors. Um, and mentorship is kind of the key here. Uh, with your podcast, which is a huge part of my entire career, that um, I was mentored by people. And then I took that mentorship and I have turned it around and I have mentored myself so many times that I am now going to be probably going on my 11th assistant editor, who is be uh, previous ones have all become editors in some way, shape or form. Um, and I'm extremely proud of that fact. Um, so when I got to Northwestern and learned all about editing and I spent all the, that time uh, doing all those things, it was great. And then I moved to Los Angeles and uh, realized that it was really hard. <laughs> and I didn't have a ton of, I didn't have a ton of uh, money. I didn't have a ton of people that I knew. I knew a couple of people from college that were there, but ultimately it's not from where I'm from, you know, the Midwest. So I didn't really know a lot of things. I was, um, I was, lucky enough to have interned at a place called New Line Cinema in 95 and 96, but I entered in development of all places, um, which is the strangest possible place for someone who likes editing to go because it's all about scripts and it's all about meetings and it's all about this and that. But I have to tell you, it was one of the coolest places to be at that time 
Um, that's when they were making seven. That's when they were, you know, gearing up to do the Lord of the Rings things. And I, you know, I met a ton of amazing, amazing individuals. And what I learned ultimately from those two summers was I didn't like this. Um, <laughs> and then I really loved editing. And so I asked them, you know, I know you guys have a post-production department. And so I would, I would love to meet with them. You know me. Um, and I would love to just get an opportunity. And they said, oh, of course, we'll completely send you down their way. And, 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 and they did, everyone met me and I was like, oh my God, my, my ship has come in. Um, and then of course they said, we have nothing. Oh, uh, you know, but we'll keep you in mind. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is not good. Um, and this is back in the day when you would write to all of the productions that were listed in the Hollywood Reporter print edition and variety. They would have these films and productions. So you'd literally write to the production offices and say, I'm looking for a job and this and that. And so I sent out, I think, 200 letters or something like that. And I got one response, which I was like, oh, my God, I got one. Um, and it was for a, sh a very small film, an independent film. And they said, oh, well, God, we really have no money. We're just hoping to give experience to people. Um, and I'm like, well, that's going to be hard. But I was like, you know what? This is an experience and I need it. Um, so I said, I'm doing it. And so I was the, I would do night work as an assistant editor overnight learning things. And there was a wonderful editor named Nina Lucia, who was fantastic and would, would show me what she was doing. Um, and I just found that editors and people in editing were very generous. And these, and what I find amazing is that, you know, everyone's like editors are so invisible in the story and this and that. And I'm like, not really, in my opinion, because I feel like the inner life of an editor is really comes through in the films uh, that they cut. Um, I feel like their lives are put on screen in a way. And, and and in many ways, you know, yes, of course, there's a screenplay. And yes, of course, there's a director. And of course, there's cuts that everyone is asking you to make. But at the same time, I always can sense when the edit has been done from this place of, a, of a, this interior life. Um, and I and I really, really just love that little sort of glimpse into that uh that that artist um so anyway uh after that nothing was going on and then miraculously <laughs> new line uh calls me and says, hey we have these two projects that need post pas can you come in and interview for each one i'm like sign me I'll up <laughs> this, uh, anyone anyone i'll do anything i need to make money i cannot i have no more uh i have no more uh savings i have to do this um, and so it was, it was kind of great. So they said, Oh, all right. So first movie you're going to meet on is American history X. I'm like, I'm in. Wow. Yeah. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. And, and they said, okay, great. And so you just have to go meet the other person. Cause I'm thinking to myself, this is like the, this is an amazing story, amazing filmmakers. And I think the editor at the time was Alan Heim. And I'm like, wow. Legend. <laughs> I'm ready, ready to go. Uh, I, I will do anything. And so I went down uh, the hall uh, and uh, the other post supervisor, this wonderful a woman named Claire O'Brien, she says, oh, oh, uh, well, I'm doing this movie and it's called Lost in Space and it's a science fiction thing. And I said, okay. She goes, and you know, uh, we're actually non-union. So if uh, we need an assistant editor later on, um, you could actually, you could actually uh, potentially get hired. So I just like realized right then and there that prag pragmatism was what I was after. So I said, absolutely, this is what I'm doing. Um, and again, an amazing experience. Uh, I learned from so many different people, including this uh, uh, the editor, Ray Lovejoy, um, who uh, died a few years after the uh, the making of that film. He had done, you know, The Shining, 
2001 A Space Odyssey, Aliens, uh, the original Batman with Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton, you know, a few films. Um, but he was so gentle and so generous. Uh, I remember specifically, because this is like, and we're talking 25 some years ago, um, it was three weeks in, I was the PA and he took everyone to lunch on my behalf and gave me this basket of gifts. And I'm like, uh, wh why? And I never forgot that. In fact, I still have that basket. It's like right outside this door um, because it was just the first sort of moment of pure, just true generosity from someone who I had so admired. Um, and it was really just a, a wonderful experience. And true to form, they did need an assistant editor near the end because they were racing and they needed someone working. Basically, you know, they had a 12 hour person on then another 12 hour person on. So I became the 12 hours at night um, and I was happy to do it because it, it it got me into the union um and it was a spectacular experience to be able to get into the union so uh so quickly because it is a it is a challenge uh, to get in uh, and everyone has their own story and i'm i'm really grateful that i got an opportunity as early as i did at a certain point i wanted i realized that it, i was a pretty good assistant editor um and i was really again i was detailed i could build things i learned how to do music i learned how to do sound effects um, as a, 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 to help the editor out, because at that time, there's only one avid to be shared between the editor and the assistant. So you had to come in early and stay late in order to help the editor out. Um, so I was happy to do that because that's what you did. Um, and then I met my mentor, um, and his name is Norman Buckley, and he is an incredible, incredible person, and not just an incredible person, but he, he's an amazing editor now director um and he <laughs> he's funny he says do you want to be editing i said yeah and he goes well, why aren't you doing it and i said uh because i'm helping out doing this doing that i'm doing all this the needs he goes ah, you should just be doing it and i said oh, okay and he goes oh you know here and there i'll throw you a scene if you'd like he wasn't even uh the editor i was working for at the time uh and i'm like okay so, and he would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you would like some feedback, I would, I would be happy to give it to you. Um, and then this was on a show called Fastlane. Again, classic television here. Um, but still, the greatest people. Um, you never know what you're going to walk into. And, and you just try and do your best work. That's my theory. Um, but Norman was really great. And he was an excellent mentor. And he basically, at one point, said, you know, I'm going to go do this pilot for this show called The O.C., and so I need you to finish um, this last episode of Fastlane for me. And so I think we should co-edit it together. Um, and I, ah, you know, I was just, I couldn't believe he was asking, number one. And then it was like, I was terrified because now I have to actually put up or shut up. Um, and I always had a keen sense of my own rhythms and my own feelings and, and how things should be. I felt you know, at the time you're young, you're deeply passionate about what you do and you think that everything you know is correct and whatnot. Um, and then as soon as I got in there, he was just like, nope, you're wrong. Nope, you're wrong. Nope, you're wrong. And it wasn't like you're wrong. He was like, why are you there when the story is here? And why are you there when this is happening? And what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, I like this. And he goes, why do you like it? What is it? Can you explain to me why you like it? And what is it doing to serve the story? And And so he was really, really... Um, uh, he was, he had a great rigor about what the craft of editing was. And so when he was teaching it to me and showing me how it would, how things worked, 
you say, see why this is better than, than what you were doing. And he says, not that if you wanted to do it, you can do it. And, and he says, there are no real rules in a way, but there are pretty good ones that have been set in place for you know decades. And there's a reason why they had them, because you had no ability to go back and make little digital changes. You had to do it on physical material. So all of these rules were codified so that you wouldn't waste time and money. Um, so they had these very strong sort of storytelling rules that have come down for generations. And I was the benefactor of those things because, you know, Norman was uh, trained and mentored by other people um, and amazing editors in their own right. So I'm I'm the beneficiary of all this, you know, this past knowledge. And so I can't tell you that how critical that was for me in order to build the craft that I use today. Um, and it was just a stunning sort of year of being back in school, um, but in, a, in, in the best possible school for an, uh, someone who wanted to be an editor. And at that point, um, the incredible people who were doing the OC, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, were off. Uh, they were making another show. Uh, and they said, oh, my gosh, after season one of the OC, you're, we want you to go and be an, a, a full editor on another show. So, and it was called The Mountain. Again, classic television that everyone remembers. Still, to this day, I am so proud of that show. Because it taught me so much about simplification, about story sort of velocity. And there were directors who literally would say to me, oh, let me let me teach you how to use a wide shot. And I'm like, I will let you. So because, again, I'm I'm not I've learned that I'm not I don't know enough and I'm not going to pretend like I know it all. Um, and so I, I welcome any and all feedback. Um, to just sort of try and make the work better. And and ultimately that's been my mantra is this like, I, I'm here for the story and I want to make the best possible story. Um, and, you know, that first episode I did of The Mountain had Penn Badgley in it, who is the star of You, he's the star of Gossip Girl and et cetera, et cetera. And it's one of his first uh, roles. Um, and it's great. And some of the work I did then is pretty much the same as how I would do it today. Um, and so that started sort of my career uh, as an editor uh, and I was able to gratefully come back to the OC in season uh, four to finish the series with them. And I did the, se uh, the series finale as an editor. Uh, I did a series with Sean Casty called Invasion, which was a science fiction series. Again, one season, but again, learned from so many incredible people. Um, and after the OC, they said, we have this show called Gossip Girl that we you would be really you would do a really good job with this pilot. And I was like, tell me more. And, and I said this, I could totally do this. But after that, I, I kind of uh, um, was able to stretch myself a bit. And I worked on Fringe. And after that, uh, a friend of mine who I had done a small pilot for just between Gossip Girl and Fringe, Amy Holden Jones, she said, I'm going to do this show called The Resident. And I really want you to do it. And I'm going to, I want you to edit it and I'm going to give you opportunities to direct on it. And that's what happened. And so I did a little bit of work on the resident finishing in their fourth season, a little bit of work there. And then I did the umbrella Academy season three. And that led me in a way to the last of us in this strange, in this strange, strange way um, where Craig Mazin has always been a uh, has, has been a friend of my husband's for many many years, and he would come over to our house for dinner parties. But that was it. They were like screenwriting buddies. 
Um, and he would come over and we'd have these silly dinner parties where you'd eat 70s food or like try to eat 70s food. Um, but it was pretty vile and gross and disgusting. But he's such a smart and 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 funny person. It was always fun to have him. Um, and so we'd have these little get-togethers. And, and, you know, we knew him as this comedy writer. And then Chernobyl came out. And he sh- I remember he showed it to us in on like an apple tv it's like the little trailer of it he goes a little here's a little tease of what it is and we all looked around and said oh, you're not doing comedy anymore this is incredible um this is like in top-notch filmmaking and he goes yeah i think so too but i you know i hope so and i said to him then and there i said i said if you ever do something else i would love to do it um and you know he's like oh you know you never know and that's how The Last of Us comes to, uh, comes up is that he starts doing it. I said, I would love to be doing this series with you. And he says, okay, there's a lot of stuff going on and, you know, there's politics involved and let me see what I can do. And so ultimately at the time, it was something I couldn't do for them because politics and whatnot, it's fine. I understand it. But near the end of their preparation process, an editor could not continue on because they had to um, finish another show. Um, And I was just wrapping up Umbrella Academy 3. Um, I was super close to the end. Uh, And so I was able to to leave Umbrella Academy 3 and go and start on Last of Us. And that brings us to where (laughs) we are today. I hope that wasn't crazy. You have every, every, every right to edit everything. (laughs) That was no, no. That was great. That's an amazing story. I love. I mean, so many things to extract from 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 that. Um, and you know, that's the thing, right? This this just a funny industry. Like you never know where we're gonna end up. Yeah. Right. No, you never do. I mean, that's the thing, right? Everyone has everyone has their story of how they got to a certain show, and it's like you just I met this person, I went here, and did this, and then that. But it sounds like though you were just kind of ready from the early on, just ready for opportunities i was open to them yeah i was always open to them i and you know i didn't i didn't know what my career was going to look like um and I, I i sort of said to myself don't worry about it just make the best decision you can at any given moment and and that's the path you're on go go with it i mean you just had yeah. to jump in close your eyes jump in and here we go right i mean that yeah. that's gonna really prepare you for what you're gonna run into most of the time for sure. And you talked about a lot about, you know, and mentorship and why it's important to you. I mean, it's a big part of your life. And obviously you also mentor, you know, your assistants. Um, oh, yeah. what, what, what makes a good mentor? And also, I guess, how can people find the, the right mentor? That is a, that is the, the, the trillion dollar question. And it's a great question. Um, I have, I've, uh, that ex- the experience I had with Norman and Matt was so monumentally important to me. And I guess because I'm a Midwest guy that like that whole idea of like, I'm going to do for others what they've done for me. And and that's you know, a lot of that is my upbringing, my parents, and, you know, you always look out for other people. Um, and so when they did that for me, I said, well, I have to do this for them now, you know, for anyone uh, coming up. And I, I'm a natural teacher. Um, I actually am a professor at UCLA in, I teach editing to, uh, directors and cinematographers in the grad program. Um, and I've been doing that since 2008 also because Norman Buckley, because he was doing it 
And then he was becoming too busy as a director and was unable to be in Los Angeles for any periods of time back when you actually had to be present to be able to teach, um, as opposed to now where we can actually work anywhere in the world, um, which I have done also. But I, I have been uh, teaching there as well. And mentorship to me is, is critical because in a way, I feel like the introduction of digital ed- editing systems has hurt the process of learning and in a way it's because the assistant editor is not is sort of no longer allowed to look over the editor's shoulder is no longer able to sit with the editor and see what they're doing and learn what they're doing and um because there's so many other tasks the assistant i i mean i gotta be honest i would be probably a terrible assistant at this point because of the um, the insane amount of work that goes into it and the and the amount of uh, technical mastery that assistants have to have, I'm in awe of assistant editors because of of, of how much they do. Um, but one of the things I know that assistant editors uh, who want to be editors, and there are assistants who don't, and that's completely 100% great. And I've worked with them. I know them. They're some of my uh, uh, most lovely people in my life. Um, but the ones who want to edit generally want some sort of creative uh, integration in some way, shape, or form. Um, and so I find that if there's a way for me to have them do that, give them the opportunity to do that, it's never a do this, it's a would you like to do this, um, then that's the way to do it. And and because I feel so strongly that the only way that the, the, really the art uh, and the craft of editing gets passed on is through this sort of uh, person-to-person, you know, you can learn about editing, you can read about it, you can... Um, listen to as many uh, uh, shows and, and even this, and you can uh, listen to this, but the real way to learn it is to watch someone do it, see how it's done, and then do it yourself many, many times, fall on your face 50,000 times, and get up. Uh, and that's the hard part. Sometimes you have to get up um, when it doesn't go your way um, and not say that you're, because there was a point where at, at, I remember in this, this, the OC sort of season when at the end of the first season, I was just feeling like I wasn't getting it. And I just was like, you know what, Norman, I think I'm, I think I don't get it. I think I, I think, I think I'm nope. I just really think that I can't figure this out because I'm still getting all these, this, these notes from you. And <laughs> Norman is great. Cause he just sort of had this grin on his face while I'm like confessing my intense fears. And he goes, really, you think that? And I said, yes, I, I I think that. I think I'm not good at this. And he goes, ah, ha, ah, well, you know, I have, uh, just wanted you to know that I think you're pretty great. And uh, I've actually told them how great you are. And not only that, um, but I've been giving you all these notes just to remind you that it's not about what you do. It's about how you work and collaborate with others. And so I just didn't want to say that this was good and this was you know worth it. I just wanted to give you more to do. So that I could see how you would adjust and see how you would change things, you know. And so, of course, it caught me way off guard. And I'm like, mm, what do I do now? Now I'm like, like my my whole psyche is crushed and yet uplifted at the same time. Um, and and so that um, that kind of uh, reminded me that this is this is how you learn um, is that you do things and you fall down, you get up, um, and you keep trying. And so as, as a mentor myself, like I am very excited to watch an, uh, an assistant uh, or apprentice or even anyone. I, I, I invite anyone into my room, <laughs> PAs, 
whatever. I'm like, you want to stay till, you know, eight, nine o'clock at night and watch this. I'm happy to do it. I'm a night owl. So sometimes I start my days late. Um, and, uh, it's just the way I am. <laughs> I've tried to show up at seven in the morning. It is happening as the editor side of me it doesn't work. Um, but that to me is, is, is where it happens. And I'm happy to sort of take any questions the assistant has like, Oh, why would you do that? Um, and I have a really good sense of now what my aesthetic is and what I what I value, um, and that comes from a combination of the craft that was sort of imbued with me with Norman and Matt, and my own instincts and my own feelings, um, which over time have I've allowed to sort of um, sort of uh, come into my work even more and more and more. Um, so I just I love the 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 idea of seeing. Um, younger filmmakers and editors and and directors even uh you know start in a certain way and then they improve and they get better and then the next thing you know they're doing work that's on par and then i go um you should be editing alongside me so i have news for for you joaquin which is my assistant editor emily mendez on the last of us will be co-editing with me four episodes it's not uh it's it's not it's on imdb so it's not a secret but um but she is a tremendous editor, um, and a and and was and is a tremendous assistant editor. Um, but I don't think she's going to be an assistant any longer because she's just too good. She's just too good. Um, I can't. I, I, my whole thing is I can't push anyone who's at the the top of their game to want to do something just so it's easy for me. I'm always like, all right, I got to find someone new. That's fine because I like it because it's fun, and now I get to to help someone else out. Um, if they want it, <laughs> but that's usually what I'm, I'm asking for when I interview assistants, I say, do you want to learn to edit? If you don't want to learn to edit, you're going to, you're going to have to try real hard because I'm going to want to tell you. I think it's a very important. I always tell people to put yourself out there, right? I mean, that's something that I learned from my mentor, one of my mentors, Monty DeGraff, AC, shout out oh, to him. Yeah. Um, you know, when I first worked on, I worked with him on my first season of a, a full scripted show in Narcos, Mexico. And nice. I he took me out to lunch and he's like, you know, he told me, he's like, well, do you, do you want to edit? And I said, yes, right? And he's like, well, you know, you got to make sure you tell people what your goals are, what you want to do. And I just thought, you know, at that point, I remember uh, at that time, I was like, well, I guess, don't you just assume that I would want to edit as an assistant? And that's the thing, you, you, you don't, not, not all assistants want to edit. But I think in general, what I've learned from that moment was that to, I have to tell people what I want to do. Right. And I think that's how, because that's, I started doing that, really communicating to people like what, what my goals were. And then I, I started gravitating towards those other mentors and who are now some of my best friends. Right. But I think it really takes a lot being vulnerable and be willing to learn, be teachable. Yeah. No. And, I, and the word you use vulnerable there is very important because it's not easy to do that. Um, it's not easy to say, I don't know it all. I need your help. Or, you know, I'm not sure how to do this. Um, cause it's always like, Oh, if I do that, they're going to think of me as not as good. Exactly. <laughs> they're going to think of me as I, you know, I'm not prepared or this and that. And so it's really hard to do that. And I, but I also think that vulnerability is, is the key to people wanting to help you. It's like, I don't know all this, but I know a lot. And so I'm, and, 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 you know, a driven attitude with a, with, with a, a combination of, of, of the drive and a vulnerability, I think is something that is really helpful for an assistant. Um, and somewhat anyone who's trying to learn more about being an editor. 
Um, so I completely like, I love that. I, I Monty is an amazing editor. Um, so kudos to you. That's awesome. I always find that feedback from someone else is really helpful. Um, so I will always, I always bring my assistant and I say, okay, here's a scene. Is it working? Is it this? Is it that? Do you feel this? Do you feel that? Do you have this, that? What can, what do you think? Could, is there something I'm not getting? Um, because I'm now too close to it. I have, I have no idea if it's going to function for someone who's watching it for the first time. Um, so I think it's incredibly valuable feedback um, to get. And, and it also gives them the opportunity to analyze and identify where things either work or don't work because ultimately in the future, a director is going to ask you, <laughs> why is this not yeah, working? Yeah. Why does this not feel right? And you are probably going to know because you've been asked so many different times. So it kind of works in this wonderful way where A, helps me, which helps the show, which is the story, which is, again, all I really care about. Um, I care about the, the, the producers, but in, in so much as that I care about their stories, if that makes any sense. Like, I want their stories to be the best possible stories that they can possibly do um, because then it helps them. So, and, and, and I want them to be as successful as possible. That's all, you know, that's all we all want. You know, we don't go into these things to just, you know, take a job and, you know, we, we want it to be great and whether or not it's going to be great or not, it depends on so many different facts. I've been lucky in a way that I have worked on some really great, um, series. Uh, I mean, the OC was like such a, a big thing for so many people. Um, and to this day, I mean, I'm I'm watching the last season again. I'm going to do a, an interview with uh, Melinda Clark and Rachel Bilson for the OC podcast, which I'm like so excited about. And I'm re-watching these things that I did like 15 years ago. And I go, I'm better now, but my instincts are the same. And so all the things I'm, I, I, I valued then are things I value now, which means my values haven't changed, which is good, I suppose. But my craft has just gotten better. Um, and my sort of abilities to to uh, to mold things have gotten even better. Um, so it's just been really wonderful to sort of uh, look back in those uh, those ways and see how how you progress over your your career and and to say, yeah, I would do it differently now. Of course, I do it differently now, but I still had that instinct at that time. Well, we're seeing your amazing work here on The Last of Us again. Congrats. I mean, just, I mean, can't say how much uh, I've been enjoying it. I know so many people have as well. Uh, so want to talk about uh, now your, your work and your experience on The Last of Us. But let me ask you this. Did you play the game before you started working oh, on it? Oh, this is an excellent question. <laughs> and I did not, uh, which is, was a not a controversial choice, really. But it was, it was a choice. Um, and in a way, I, I learned this from a couple of people. Uh, in my past, I, when I was a producer on the Believe Show for JJ, uh, his producing partner Brian Burke said to me, "He goes, don't read the scripts." I said, "What? Why don't? Why don't? Why don't? Why would I not read the scripts?" He goes, "You need to come at these episodes with no knowledge of what's coming," and that stuck with me to this day. Which is, I need to be able to see this without any preconceptions. So I remembered that and I said, you know what, I'm going to choose. And if it gets me in trouble, oh, so be it. Um, but I'm going to choose not to play the game. <laughs> and I'm going to basically allow these dailies to some sort of wash over me. 
and I'm going to edit them in a way I feel is a, is the, the way I would do it. And I was lucky enough that my assistant editor turned co-editor, Emily Mendez, was a huge fan of the game and has played it multiple times. It's like her favorite thing. So she would tell me at times, she goes, oh, that's like the game. And I go, oh, what, what's like the game? And she goes, well, you're you're using the shots behind him where, you, where he's walking. And I said, oh, I see. She goes, yeah, that's very much like how the game is. So I was coming to these decisions without having played the game. Um, but then I was aware of it and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I didn't know anything else about these cut sequences. And we had the cut sequences to watch. We had them in the system and I'm like, don't watch them. Um, because if you might tell, like, I, like deep down it, I might make those same edits. Um, but I almost wanted to come to them, uh, myself. Uh, and, and so there were times where, you know, Craig and Emily would sort of just nudge me and it's like, you know, there's this one moment in the game where, you know, he's. And, I, and there's one specifically. It's like, well, when she says your watch is broken, the game moment is like she's passing by Joel and he's like sleeping on the couch. So I didn't have that. I I had your watch is broken on camera and then it cut to him. I said, let's just do it all in that one shot because that's like kind of how the game is. And it's really kind of nice and elegant to have it all there. I said, oh, that's great. Let's do it that way. Um, so there was, you know, moments like that where I was sort of adjusted to to sort of hit things that they felt were really good for how it would match the game. But overall, I just did it the way I thought it was to be done. And, and I guess in a weird sense of, uh, of alignment, what I was doing was aligning with what they, what they were looking for, um, which happens very rarely. And it's a gift. So this specific episode that aired last night um, was a true gift, a true gift, because I knew it was something that I was always wanting to tell a story like this because I knew it was very personal to me. I knew how these experiences uh, feel from a very, very unique perspective. And, and, and from my perspective, I knew I could tell these stories and I could, I could illuminate these specific uh, nuances and subtext in these characters. So I could not have been happier to have read the script and to have seen how Peter Hoare directed it and how Evan Bolter filmed it um, and how Nick and Murray just literally blew my mind. Um, and to see all of the subtext and the nuance that they imbued into their characters. And I said, I have to make sure that I don't miss this stuff. And I want to make sure that, that, that everything is on the table. Um, quite literally, there was a lot of table scenes, um, very critical ones actually. Um, and what was fun is that my first cut was like an hour and 45 minutes of the episode. I'm like, uh-oh, this is not good. Um, it's funny because like the script, I think, was like, I don't know, 60-some pages. So it's, it wouldn't have necessarily been that. Um, but all these great sort of lived-in moments were sort of inflating what the script had said. Because, um, you know, the script will say they do this and one-eighth of a page, and that turns into a minute. Because it's a, you know, a description of something that ultimately takes longer to act. Uh, than it does to write. And so I kept looking at the script supervisor's log and it kept getting longer and longer and longer with each day. And I'm like, oh, this is getting interesting. Um, so the first cut was about an hour 45. And I'm like, oh, I shouldn't cut anything though. I don't want to cut anything. Um, I want to show it to the director. I want him to see what he did. Um, and then uh, and then we can start working from there. It's one of my, um, it took me a while to to, to sort of, 
give in to this, but I, I feel like I want to give the directors everything they did in the best way I can give it to them. Even if it means that I know this isn't going to live, maybe, or maybe these things don't need to be here, but it's not my decision right now to make. Um, I don't want to make those decisions yet. Although the decisions are in my head, they're ready to go. Um, but I don't want to make them just yet. I say, well, let's discuss, we can discuss that later. And that takes a while to do, um, to have the confidence to say, all right, this is going to be a little long, a little this, a little that. Um, but I know that the the heart of the episode, which was the Frank and Bill storyline, had some of the, the most incredible sequences that I've ever been lucky enough to cut. Um, and some of them have been adjusted just a hair here and there. And I'm just thrilled that, you know, the work and sort of the, the emotion I was able to bring from my own self is present in this as well. And I think that's one of the sort of the things that Craig Mazin does so well as he says to his artists, he goes, yeah, I wrote this, but I want you to bring your whole self to it. And I hope that by me giving you that, uh, the allowance to do that, that you'll enhance the thing that I already think is good on the page. Um, and so that's what happened in this specific instance. And I mean, I can't tell you how happy I am with it. And, you know, again, most importantly to me, are there people who are calling me up and saying my mom is talking and we're talking about it not because in a way it's really about and you know again as a member of the queer community i'm really uh, i'm very very invested in this idea of your family and the idea of family and the idea of people you care for um whether it's your biological family if it's a chosen family or a family who has chosen you um and so I just love the idea that this is about how love is this great risk, um, that you risk loving someone else, even though it may be antithetical to your own um, survival. You know, you're going to do something that could cause you to, to die, to be harmed, to anything. Um, but that concept of being part of a family is, is, is worth it. Um, and that's why I think that the show might be resonating a lot is because it's this, again, it's, it's almost like, the, you know, what is it, the, the Fast and Furious series? It's about family. So, uh, and, and in a way, it, it, it works. It works because I believe it's kind of the crux of humanity is how we form these tight sort of bonds with, the, uh, with each other. Um, even if it's across, you know, uh, digital wires as we're doing right now. Um, but I don't know. I feel very like, I don't know. I'm just really honored that I got to be a part of this, uh, the last of us and, and to sort of bring the nuance and the subtext that I've, you know, kind of nurtured over the last 20 years of my career. You know, we're talking about here, episode, episode three and, and, you know, I mean that, that last shot, the final shot. Um, I mean, wow, just, just, it gets you. It gets you. <laughs> <Sure> does. <laughs> uh, um, is, is, now your approach to say cutting like an episode like one or three that's more, more maybe more heartfelt, different to say something that maybe has more of like you know dread, suspense. We're seeing more the clickers and infected. Yes, and then you know I did um, the pilot, um, and the next couple episodes are also uh, mine and Emily, uh, my assistant editor, and so those those tasks are very different. But at the same time, I think what uh, makes the series as cohesive as it is, is it always is based on 
the character and what the character is trying to either not do or the character is trying to do. So Joel is trying desperately not to be sort of like, I, I don't want to be connected to this girl. You know, I don't I, I don't need a, a, to someone to die again. So I, I, I can't do that. I am emotionally unable to do that. But in, in spite of that, <laughs> in spite of that uh, desire to not be connected, uh, circumstances always put him in a situation where he instinctually acts. Um, and that instinctual action is what I think makes it uh, the story of his character and the story of how his character um, ultimately will see in the future uh, how he uh, changes. Well, you mentioned here episode one, uh, and in I when I I think we we had a you know conversation over email about the cold open because when I watched that the cold open, it was you know it's this talk show right, yeah. and and uh, but it was so I mean like when it when we then cut to the the the, the main title, and um the show the episode starts I mean I I'm feeling already I'm already scared I'm already nervous I'm actually googling. If yeah. this stuff is true, right? Absolutely. I mean, it was uh, it was not the original Code Open at all. Um, originally, there was a uh, sort of a documentary style, uh, you know, Planet Earth kind of thing that was edited together. Because I, if I remember correctly, Neil Druckmann, who did the game, had seen this uh, documentary and who's like, oh, my God, this is real and this is incredible. And that's what gave me one of these ideas. So we kind of wanted to recreate that sort of genesis of the idea for him. And it was interesting because, again, it's like you're seeing these things in nature do this stuff to ants and whatnot. And you're going, whoa, this is really terrifying. But it was also on a really small scale. Um, and it also showed you almost too much of what was going on. And as I think Craig has said in the past, um, it was like social studies. You're like, oh, I'm in social studies class. Versus seeing, you know, a bunch of human beings talking about this thing. And you're sort of like wondering what that is. And you don't get to see it. You have to imagine what it is. And when you have to imagine what something is, it scares you more. Because you don't know what it's like. And you're then now going, oh, my God, these people are talking about something eating our, you know, or basically infecting our minds and causing us to have mind control. And is it real? It's it. it I don't know. And and hence the fact that you had to Google it versus having seen it, in which case you would have known right up front that it was real. Uh, the fear of not knowing if it's real or not actually probably works better. So that was filmed very late um, in the season, uh, near the end. Um, and it was put, and I put it together in a, like a, a morning. And it was so fun because, you know, John Hanna has to do like five pages of dialogue almost all in a row. So he was great. Um, and, and the other guys were great too. But I think I'm and and the concept was um everything has to go very quickly in terms of how they're speaking up until the moment where he says, What about things getting slightly warmer? Um editorially that works and editorially that works so wonderfully because I and, I and you know, you have these great close-up shots of all these characters. Um, and then we had these extreme close-up shots of these characters um and wider angles and whatnot and so we try to pop around um as uh in, in the early parts just to show like the sort of the, the set the the space the tone of of where they were and sort of the feel of the studio there was a lot of you know chair squeaks and whatnot that we introduced into that to make it feel not so uh, sort of austere but like you know messy uh like it would have been um and then when we get to that point it becomes very very specific 
Um, and I think the fun part of that is you get to focus the audience very, very closely on what's being said. Uh, and and it's like one of the things I love doing, which is like just waiting and waiting and holding these great. I mean, in the performance of, in that that take was amazing all the way through. Um, and so I'm like, oh, I should uh, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Wait, 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 wait. So I ultimately was like, I have to wait, I have to wait till this moment to go there, um, no matter what, um, because the architecture, ha, ah, architecture, um, the architecture of the scene will work best if I save it um, for the very end. Um, and, 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 and it was the way to do it. It really was. Uh, and then it slows everything down and the whole thing slows down. And this is something I learned back on the OC. So, which is so funny, uh, because again, Norman's like, I, I'd like to keep this character talking. And I, I remove all their breaths, um, so that they don't have time to even breathe, which is inhuman, but you know, it'll be better for the story. Um, and then when I want it to breathe is when it's the most emotional. Um, so these are things I learned, you know, from the OC transferring all the way to the last of us, because it's the craft you learn along the way. Um, and it, it just takes time. Um, but that, that cold open, I think works as well as it does because of that structure. Um, because, and also because it allows you to kind of have that sinking feeling that, and it's also kind of fun because of the way Craig wrote it, which is like, Oh, what if it gets slightly warmer? We're like, Oh, that hasn't happened. So has it? Yeah, it has. So, okay, is this going to happen to us? And you go, yeah, it could actually. So it's a real possibility. And, and that's the thing. It's like, could it mutate? It might. So, um, so yes, it was a really um, great decision and, you know, a risk to put like a, a, a bunch of, you know, guys talking, smoking on a TV show, the first um, three minutes of your series. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I wasn't expecting that at all, obviously. No, no. <laughs> nobody was. And so that was kind of the, the that was the, that was the, uh, the fun part. We were all like, kind of like, oh God, I hope it works, you know, and they, they loved it. They were like, this is great. I just hope people are, you know, like, well, where's the, the cruel things? You know, it's like, no, it contextualizes everything. And, and, and as soon as you contextualize the experience, every scene after changed dread as opposed to just as a normal scene, because now at any time, anything can happen. Um, and so that contextualization is the heart of editing is where you place things. Um, and so moving that, you know, if, if that were a scene that happened later, say, for example, moving it earlier would have been the right move. Um, but, you know, Craig and Neil are smart enough to know that that has to be the first thing. So they wrote it that way. The sound effects and the music, uh, you know, would we first see the, you know, the clickers, I mean, right away, I'm like, I'm, I'm brought into the game, right? Yeah. Is that, did you use a lot of say sound effects from the game or you had access to those libraries? And also, I mean, you work with uh, the great Gustavo Santaolalla who did the, yeah. the music for uh, the, the video game. Yep. But uh, what was your approach to using, I guess, temp score and also the temp sound design? Ah, it's a really, that's, that's really good. Um, temp sound design was accomplished by my assistant editor, Emily. It's one of the creative tasks that I uh, love seeing if uh, assistant editors are gifted in. And she happens to be immensely gifted in that, uh, that ability. Um, so she used a lot of, sequ of stuff that was from her libraries that she had picked up over time. But then also when we uh, were um, brought onto the series, they had these libraries of stuff from the game. So we were able to utilize those things. And when it came to the actual building of the final mixes, uh, they had all of the Naughty Dog library of the sound effects. But not only that, they had the original artists who were the clickers 
and they recreated those sounds with those original artists. And I know Craig, and I wasn't uh, a part of this, but Craig would go to sound effects recording sessions and, and they would work tirelessly to make sure that it was exactly right to make sure that it felt exactly like it was uh, like it was in the game, which he's like, I don't need to change that because it's perfect. Um, I just need to, to replicate it in a way that's not just pure copying. Um, and, and it, and it works with what was actually filmed. Um, so they would do uh, uh, copious passes to make sure that it worked just properly. Um, the music is where I can speak to a little bit more. Um, and the music is an incredible, I mean, music to me is, again, it's like this beautiful um, way to create this, uh, the poetry of filmmaking is music in, in a way. Um, and so having the, a- having access to Gustavo's cues from the game was so inspirational because it allowed me to look at all of these pieces of, uh, of score and having no knowledge of the game. I would use things as temporary pieces only because they moved me in, in a certain way. Uh, and a lot of what I had done as a, as a, as a temp score, and it's one of my, uh, my, my big skills as an editor is I am, I know that I'm very good at temp scoring. Um, this I know. <laughs> Everything else is still an imposter. Um, but temp scoring is something I'm really good at. Uh, and, and musical montage, I'm very, very, um, I, again, I learned as an assistant how to do that. Um, and it's something that I, I love doing. Um, so using that score and being able to mold uh, things with with that score as a, and and not really looking outside of that score. I mean, that was kind of the key. I said, I don't really want to look too far outside of what Gustavo had done because why? it's it's so it's so uh, perfectly suited to the world, to the feeling of the characters and to the the sense of sort of isolation um and 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 sort of the the beauty of the world that they are living in. Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes the show sort of sing is that you're seeing this sort of post-apocalyptic world, but it's a world filled with beauty. Um, and it's a world filled with, uh, uh, with love despite the surroundings and despite the circumstances. Um, and that contrast is what creates um, a really uh, sort of an interesting way to, uh, to see into our own world, um, which in a way, if you think about it, is, can be similar. You know, it's like, it always feels like we're falling apart. Um, but then it were, but then so, something you'll see will fill you with so much hope uh, and 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 a feeling that we're all you know sort of here together um, and to help each other. Then you feel the same, and you feel like in a way that nothing changes, even even uh, in a circumstance such as this. So yes, I I absolutely loved uh, the opportunity uh, to use Gustavo's. Uh, scores and then he would make these just sickening amazing renditions um the sequence with uh the strawberries uh last night gustavo special and they, that's what they call him too they call him gustavo special we need a gustavo like and we just let him go and he has a just in such an intricate and beautiful way of creating these things um and he knows exactly these, he knows these characters, number one. I mean, maybe not Frank, because Frank wasn't in the game. Um, but he does know, you know, the, the, the world. And he created the sound of that is in, a, in a musical way. Um, so I can't tell you, I mean, it's just an honor 
I got, I can't say more, more than that. It's, it was, it's an honor to work with the tracks. It's an honor to see what he does with them uh, and his team. Um, and to be wowed when you hear them on the dub stage the first time. You just go, holy shit, that was great. You know, speaking of the game, though, I mean, like, was there some pressure, though, to say, like, all right, we want to make the fans happy, but we're also trying to tell the best story here, make the best TV show possible? I mean, the thing that I think they've done so well is there's the way they wrote these scripts. Uh, it was accessible to anyone. Um, it was an, it, it, you know, you didn't have to play the game and, and, you know, they are not wrong with the game. The, the play of the game is what makes the game fun. Um, as far as I'm told. So <laughs> having still not played it, um, and, and, and you can't really have game play in a, in a television show. And so the ability to sort of shift the, the idea of the, the fun of the game being the play into a TV series where the fun is to be able to sort of, uh, experience what these characters experience and just and to sort of live live vicariously through them in a way that's not you actually controlling them but watching how they react in a, in a way that feels like you're with them um so it wasn't it wasn't about like making i mean I, we were just always hoping and this is from my perspective like i was always just hoping that you know if i like it i hope other people like it too um and if you're a gamer and you're watching this and you're seeing things that 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 have echoes of what you did as a, as when you played the game, then victory. Um, but as a as someone who knows that maybe a lot of people are, haven't played this game, you know, I couldn't uh, just assume that they would understand it. I had to understand it because I hadn't played the game, um, and then other people who had played the game had to understand it. So the the discussions were actually quite few, uh, in editorial at least. There may have been more that happened on set. There may have been more that happened in the writing process. Uh, but in post-production, it was like, oh, um, let's do let's do this. And again, it was like minor adjustments um, to what had been done. But and I'll give you one, I'll give you one fun story, actually. Um, and this involves uh, a later scene in the series. And obviously, no spoilers. Um, but there was a scene where Craig said, he goes, you know, this one is like a really big key game scene. So maybe you should watch the scene first. Just maybe. It's a key one. And I said, oh, okay. And so I went away and I thought about it for a second. I said, you know what? And I went back and said, Craig, do you mind if I just try it myself first? I'll do it again. I'll, I'll watch it again. I just, I'm just so curious as to what I would do differently. And he goes, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, so I went away and I did the scene. Um, and then I was like, okay, so now I'm going to watch this, the cutscene, which is, I think the only cutscene I've seen. Um, I watched it and I was like, it was so close and I could not believe it. And, and it's not because of necessarily what I did, but I feel like it's because they had such a control of the cinematic world in the game that I came to the similar conclusions based on the story. Cause again, I'm there to serve the story. And so my decisions were based on the story. And I think Neil's cinematic style is, is so uh, romantic and beautiful, which is how I tend to try and work myself. So it was just so cool to see it matching up. And then I just said, I said, Craig, I did, I did it the same. And he goes, no, you didn't. I said, I was really close, <laughs> really close. And he goes, all right, that's more like it. Um, but yeah, so then, and then we just made adjustments to that, but it was still, I felt good about it. Cause again, I had brought 
um, I, I had brought it from myself first and then adjusted it based on what we needed it to, to be for to just have those little minor adjustments to make sure it landed correctly for everyone else. I have a question here from a, a member of the Hollywood Editing Mentor community, Haley Bentley. You know, talking about um, her and her dad are huge fans of the show. Uh, we're talking about, obviously, the, the suspense, right, in, in this series. Uh, she says, I'm curious how much footage they have to start with to give them the space to work with holding shots longer and creating those holding your breath moments. Do shots get held longer while filming for shows like this? Does that go all the way back to how the director is directing or is a lot of that made in post? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, the way that it generally works, of course, is that all of those shots were designed to hold for a long period of time. In fact, you know, most people would hope that you could design a shot um, to last as long as possible. And the ability to not edit is really important when you're trying to build tension, because as soon as you make an edit, you're calming the audience down in a way. You're basically telling them, oh, it's okay, new view, new view, new view, you don't have to worry. Um, and there are so many ways to create, you know, tension and stress. And one of those ways is to not edit and to force the viewer to be, to almost endure uh, the the tension with uh, the the character, uh, and as soon as you make that edit, you kind of relieve the viewer uh, of of okay, okay, and then you have to build up that tension again. But if you don't make any edits, and you're lucky enough to be able to not make any edits, uh, if the shot holds and has that sort of feeling that there's nothing about the shot that sort of dips for me at any one point, um, that I feel like I can hold on to those shots a lot longer. So they've designed those uh, in the production. And a lot of it, though, is, is about me seeing when I can compress and seeing when I don't have to compress. Um, in last night's episode, there was a whole sequence where Joel and Ellie are talking about what happened in cordyceps and what happened in the past. There was coverage of that scene, and there was zero reason to make an edit because they were both great. And they never, uh, uh, they never floundered, not once. Um, and therefore I was like, there's no reason to make any edits here. So why I'm not paid by the edit. I'm paid by the, you know, the story. So, and again, it's not, you know, financial payment, it's emotional payment and, and the feeling of accomplishment. Um, that's the thing that I care about the most is like, oh, this is so cool. I don't have to make an edit, uh, because, it's so good. um, the, the, yes, we had options to get around it because as, uh, most, uh, great directors like Peter know, it's like, ah, you never know when a piece of story is actually going to be no longer necessary. Um, and we have to find a way around it. Um, but certain sequences like that, and and also when Ellie is approaching uh, the infected character in last night's episode, um, it was important to not cut away too fast. It was to let her inch closer to this character and not, you know, ping pong, ping pong, ping pong, ping pong, because as soon as you start ping ponging, you get relieved. Um, so I just like that we could sit on her and watch her sort of look at the character. And then when I felt at that moment that I really wanted to see what she was seeing, that's when you'd make the edit because I, I'm like, well, if I'm feeling like I want to see this, uh, the next thing, then I'm assuming the audience is going to uh, want to see the same thing. Um, so I have to think of myself as that surrogate audience member, but at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, scaring the audience by not doing too much. And, and one of the big ways I think you create tension, and this is my own personal theory, maybe someone else has had it before, maybe someone else is not, but I like to keep a little five second suspense window open. Um, and what that means is I want the audience to kind of be wondering what's happening in the next five seconds um, a little bit. 
as opposed to showing them what's happening. I don't want to hold it off for too long, but in general, my theory is I like to have like five seconds of things. The audience go, Oh, I want to see this. And I keep this little five second window going the entire time I'm making edits. I'm like, well, the audience doesn't get to see this just yet. They'll see it in five seconds. So therefore they're going to want to see it, which is going to want to keep them involved. So I, instead of, you know, seeing something and then seeing the character react to that said something, I would say, let's see the character react to said something first and then reveal what that said something was. So the, so the audience is going, ah, what are they, what is that person looking at? And then you get to see it and you go, oh, okay. Versus the other way around. Um, so I try and think about that at all times. It doesn't always happen, of course, but like in general, I try to keep that sort of that five second suspense window going at all times. Um, and it's not suspense per se, it's just curiosity. Maybe we'll call it that. We'll call it the curiosity window. It's pretty, that's a pretty cool term. So, <laughs> Coin it here. <laughs> so it's the five second curiosity window where it's like, I'm just curious. Like I, I feel like the audience will be curious and they won't feel like they're, I'm being, I'm manipulating them, you know? And, and again, I'm, you know, editors are manipulators. That's what we do, but I don't want it to be visible manipulation. I want it to be sort of invisible and there's your invisible editor. Um, I'm invisibly manipulating you, but I'm still manipulating you. So therefore I'm not invisible. Um, if that makes any sense, but that's kind of how I like to sort of create sort of just general narrative tension, not just, you know, sort of tension of what's, if anyone's going to get hurt or die or whatnot like that. So, um, so yeah, curiosity window, there it is. Pedro Pascal. Yeah. I've always just uh, loved him as an actor. Um, what can you say about, you know, cutting those dailies? I mean, here's the thing about Pedro. I mean, the guy is just a genius. Um, and, uh, Bella Ramsey is just, a, I mean, she's a goddess, honestly. I mean, I just love her so much, but Pedro, the greatest thing about Pedro is I have to watch so closely what he's doing because he is doing so much internally and without movement. And so I'm very, I I'm like, I'm like literally this when I watch his I'm going like, I'm watching his eyes really closely because I know that in those eyes is where his emotion is buried. Um, and I just really hyper aware of the, his thought processes. And, you know, as the editor of, of a lot of these episodes, you know, I've, I've learned how to sort of um, see inside of the character that he's creating um, and to see the choices he's making. Um, and the choices he's making are about, disconnection and connection um, when he's connecting when he's disconnecting and when he's going to feel something uh frontal when he's going to feel something uh turned away um and you know my job is to a recognize it b emphasize it if i need to or de-emphasize it as necessary um but seeing how he is sort of this character who's who's, who's unwilling to change how he's become in you know the 20 years since his daughter has died versus this just buoyant, you know, girl who's just so excited about a car, you know, oh, a car, freaking cool. So and he's like, oh my God, you know, so oy, um, to see that contrast work together and, and she's so open and natural and um, buoyant. And he is just, he's, he's just is, is this rock who just does not, desperately does not want to care um and and you know um future episodes we'll see 
how how it all uh, transpires. Oh, oh yeah, no, certainly can't wait. Uh, Tim, definitely want to start winding this down. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, you know, uh, I gotta say, you know, back when I was playing the the first Last of Us, I remember like when I finished the game. I mean, I was emotional. I was like, I, I I've never felt this from a game. Like, what is happening, right? Um, and so. Do you, what do you see, I guess, and I know it's not like a gaming podcast, right? But I mean, like, what do you see the future now of video games? And now, I guess this, uh, where we're seeing now video games, you know, translated more into, into, into TV shows and films and, and, and just gaming, the popularity of gaming is just exploding and it's becoming just like, it's just a bigger form of entertainment. What do you see this kind of going down, I guess, the, you know, the gaming kind of Hollywood kind of relationship in the future? That's an excellent question. And, you know, like what's funny about it is, you know, watching how the games are made and you see that they are able to integrate these these real people, these real uh, human beings into into the games. And, you know, I, I'm sure you heard, you know, unfortunately, Annie Wershing passed away uh, yesterday, who was the original Tess in the video game. And I remember seeing in uh, some of the uh, photographs of her yesterday, some of her work on Last of Us. And seeing in her eyes this pain and this humanity and them being able to capture that into a video game scenario where they can create these unbelievable worlds and also inject this human experience with that at the same time is why I think games have become so uh, so successful and so cinematic and so emotional because there is it's it's not just you know Mario, you know jumping into uh, a little tunnel and and I'm popping on a little turtle um, where you're just like, you're you're sort of playing along as like this sort of silly sort of digital thing. You, you're really sort of in, uh, it's almost like a, you know, it's like a skin, they say, you know, you're, you're inhabiting these characters. And so you feel deeply for uh, what happens to them. And, and, and in a way, I don't think, you know, <laughs> I mean, the thing that I think works so well with, how Last of Us has translated from a video game is because of the emotions and the humanity that the original actors had placed into the into the game, and how how much people wanted to see that emotion and that humanity uh, translate to the series. So, uh, for the future, I think again, like like filmmaking is 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 reaching all different areas, um, and gaming is certainly one of them where you can where filmmaking can be almost as expressive as you possibly want because the world can be anything. You can create any world you want and then you inhabit it with uh, people that are recognizably human. And that is the world, the fantasy world that is emotional. Um, if that makes any sense uh, to you, I, I, I think that's what makes it great. Um, and I'm hopeful that, you know, in the future we have uh, symbiosis between these two worlds because I, and I know that the, you know, the last of us, crew feels very connected to the gaming crew um we feel very close to them and we feel like we're doing you know i even say i hope we're doing your work justice you know because the work is so incredible that i'm i'm really respectful of it um and i want to make sure it do, is done properly for you and so far so good so far so good yes no we're still uh we're not done yet right and so uh but so far i mean it's just been amazing cannot wait obviously for the next episode and Tim congrats again some from great work and, and congrats on season two thank you yeah no that's <laughs> so a surprise, cool that's surprise. That. <laughs> especially coming on the heels of uh this episode or right before this episode aired I was like oh my gosh you know that's great because now I can a little bit relax because you know it's a you know the episode was going to be controversial no matter what 
Um, it's devious from the game. It's it's very, very different. Um, and I'm just so glad and grateful that, you know, we get this opportunity to do it again. Um, I I love this crew. I love these people um, so desperately. They're just, again, the most human of people. And when you get the opportunity to do great work with the most human of people, I mean, that's the dream. So I'm just, I couldn't be happier right now. Awesome, Tim. Well, hey, just one last final thought from you. I mean, you're talking about uh, mentorship, right? And you talk, you know, you've had a obviously lengthy career, successful career. Now, what would you say? Share some advice for those that are trying to go and make their way to the editing chair and do what you do. Yeah, no, it's, it's that's that's the best question. That's the way we should do this. Um, uh, for me, the best advice I can give anyone who wants to 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 be doing this is if you're feeling like you're not getting something out of the people that you're around, um, do your job. Don't not do your job. Don't get disappointed. Don't get depressed about it. Don't stop doing your job well. Do your job as best as you possibly can. Pretend like it's the greatest job ever. Um, because you never, again, you never know when some of these people are going to have their own things that they're going to want you on. And they may not be in the position to hire you at that point. They may be you know, writers, PAs that you, you're like, oh, I just hate, you know, this person's nice, but, uh, but never give up on the job you have. Um, do it as well as possible. I stacked Pepsis and got hot tea for that editor and brought checked lunches. I'd never missed, you know, I, I, you know, if I missed a lunch, I was like devastated and I would go back. Um, because weirdly it's those small things that people remember that, oh, there's some responsible person. Um, and so I feel like anyone who has the opportunity and it's hard to get opportunities, um, on these things. And again, like it took me 20 some years to just find my way into this position, um, which is a, a gift in and of itself. And it may not have happened and you never know. Um, but the only way I can see, uh, someone in, uh, doing really well, um, and getting into those positions is to be again, open to the opportunities and to not. And to and to truly just be super present for these people to anticipate these people's needs, because in the end, that's you know, uh, mentorship is about others recognizing your own worth um, and saying we want to help this person because this person's super great. Um, and and I feel Hollywood is full of these people. You know, we're in a way we're like an island of misfit toys. Um, we were always sort of like misfits from the the get go, and so when we recognize other misfits, we're like we got to bring them in onto our island. Um, uh, and so the more you show that you're passionate about, you know, being uh, helpful and whatever that means. And I walked out with my big college degree and I was like making tea and I didn't care. So I was, it's great. I'm not going to be upset about this. Um, and then just asking, you know, you were saying, you know, you got to let people know what you want to do. Um, if I don't know that the PA in, in, in the writer's room is interested in post-production, then I will never offer my editing room, you know, to sit in. I won't know it. And and I may have had a great uh, impact on that person, and, and I would never know it. Um, and you never know when people are going to be like, oh, you want to do that? Well, it just so happens that my friend is looking for a... You just don't know when that's going to happen. So in a way, it's like you're rolling the dice... 50,000 times and you're hoping to get the right role at one point. But if you don't roll the dice at all and you're hoping for the right role, it's not going to happen. So the more times you roll the dice and, 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 you know, surround yourself with different people, 
you know, and 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 you know, while still being cognizant of the fact that you want to, you know, complete your your tasks for everyone. Um, that's the way you sort of figure out where your your people are. Um, and so again, like I I surrounded myself at a certain point, um, not surrounded myself, but I found the right people. Uh, and 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 sometimes the right people found me. Um, and I was lucky enough that they were they asked. And if I hadn't, and if they hadn't asked, maybe I wouldn't have had this opportunity. So you just don't know. Uh, so go, you know, put yourself in a situation where you meet people. And sometimes it's not going to work. Um, yeah. and sometimes they're not going to like you. <laughs> it happens. And, and it happens. You go, okay, these are not my people. Um, that sucks. I don't regret it. I did everything I could. I did it all to the best of my ability. I did it with my heart. And now I'm moving on to something else because it's just the way it is. And, you know, it's kind of how it is out here. Um, not everyone is for everyone. Um, and, and that's okay. I think, I think in the old, you know, job world, it's like, oh my God, you know, this person didn't like you and your, your career's over. It's like, (laughs) not in Hollywood, it isn't. No, no. (laughs) you'll just find some other people that like you. So, and that's the sort of the beauty of, of, of meeting people. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a big fan of people putting, uh, putting themselves in situations where they, A, work for, uh, work for it. You know, like don't don't just expect things to happen to you. And in a way, that's what I was like in my early uh, days. A little bit, I was like, "Oh, it's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to me." But as soon as I started to realize that if I just wait, it's not going to happen. I have to really actively try and make this happen. Um, so try um, and fall and fail and get up. Um, and you never know when the person you meet is going to be that next person. You just don't know. So it'll only be uh, it'll only be obvious to you later. Um, so you just have to keep trying, and that's the best I can offer. Well, that's just amazing advice, there, Tim. And thank you for not only sharing that, but also your experience cutting the Last of Us. Uh, I, I mean, so awesome to bring us into the, the cutting room with this amazing series, and of course, can't wait for the next episode. And, and, and thank you for for spending some time here, talking with me, and being a guest here on the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joaquin. I really appreciate it. That does it for episode 36 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Timothy Good ACE, for being here and sharing his experience cutting HBO's The Last of Us. And don't forget that you can now watch a video version of this episode on the Hollywood Editing Mentor YouTube channel. And once you're there, make sure you subscribe and hit that bell icon so you get notified when a new episode drops. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, the creator of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program. Thanks for listening.